Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome to another dad battle. Now is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? Gentlemen, my son joined the golf team at school, so I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk, because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on! Yeah. Hold up! Who touched the thermostat? Yeah! That lawn isn't gonna mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. Oh, yeah. 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 Just wait till your mother gets home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No. Oh. Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it. <laughs> Proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you, no matter what. When God made you, He made something very special. Proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. And again, who gives this woman? No, no, you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Mother and I do. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay? Dads are weird, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, sometimes the dad can be funny. Sometimes the dad can be really strange. Sometimes dads can be really serious. And, you know, sometimes dads cry. Have you ever noticed that? I remember crying once. <laughs> we took my daughter to college. And... Um, it was a traumatic experience for me. I'm very protective over my daughter. And we drove over there and we moved all of her stuff into her dorm room and it was time to say goodbye. And I, I turned into a tear factory. I mean, I could not, like I couldn't stop. And my poor wife, Marsha, had to man up for me. <laughs> and finally, when I, and when I was finally able to kind of get it all together, Bethany, my, my daughter, was standing across the room about 10 feet away, and she had this funny little smile on her face. And that kind of upset me because I thought, you know, I've just been kind of pouring my heart out here, telling you and showing you actually how much I love you and how hard this is on me, and you're smiling. And I, and I looked at her and I said, I said what, what's going on? And she looked at me, and, I, and this is what she said. I'll never forget it. She said, Dad, somebody around here has to be the emotionally stable one. <laughs> and that's probably why she got her master's in social work. You know, it's, it's tough being a dad. It's, uh, it's tough business just being a man these days. Forget about being a father. It doesn't matter whether you're a young man, middle-aged man, or an elderly man. It's just hard. Hard to be a man in our culture in the days that we're living in. And it's especially hard when you want to be a godly man. Or we say a man of God. That is somebody who exudes the, the presence, the, the person of Christ in their life in, in any and every situation. It's hard to do. Especially in, in these days. And yet, I hope and pray that many of you would agree with me as men, as fathers, as sons, young men. And you would say, I, I want to be a man of God. I want to I grow into being a godly man. So I, what I want to do this weekend is I want to help you with that. And, and I want to talk to the people in your life, that is to your, you know, whether it's your wife or your mother or your daughter or your, you know, younger sons or whoever it is. I want to I show them some ways to help you be that, that man of God. And in order to do that, um, I want to draw your attention to a guy in the scriptures that we're familiar with, but we oftentimes kind of dismiss him because we've we stereotyped him as, as all about suffering. And we're going to talk about suffering, but he's a powerful example of what it means to be a godly man, a godly father. And I'm talking about Job. So if you want to take your Bibles out and join me <clears throat> back in the Old Testament. And uh, ever since Wednesday, I've got this thing going on in my throat, so I apologize for maybe a little bit rough voice or some coughing I have to do. But Job is where we're going to turn. And we're going to look at this, this man who, who teaches us what it means to be godly in one day. In one day. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's start reading it. Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, 
He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. It says at the end of verse 3, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of fasting, excuse me, of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. You know, you read that description of Job, and it's obvious that he was a successful man in so many different ways. I mean, he was probably an entrepreneur. Not only could he start a business, he could continue to manage that business and grow that business. He was probably a wise investor as well. He was highly successful. He'd be a CEO in our day and our age. Secondly, he was a man of stature. It says there at the end of verse 3 that, you know, he was the greatest man in the East, which means that people knew about Job. And by the way, Job is not a metaphorical, you know, character. He's not, you know, it's not somebody made up in the Bible. This is a real person. And so people would come to Job and present their, you know, the problems, their business issues, their concerns, whatever it was, because he was so highly respected, they believed that Job had something to say that would really help them and encourage them. And Job is also a family man. It's obvious in the text he had a large family. Perhaps he was a father, a grandfather. You know, we don't know, but I know this much. He really loved his family, spent time with them. They got together often in their homes and had meals, etc. But most importantly, Job is a man who is very devoted to God. Um, he's a man who prayed much for his family. He was a man that was concerned about their spiritual well-being. He was a man that uh, modeled for them what it meant to be a man, a father, a husband, a friend, a, a follower of God. Everything that Job did flowed out of, of God being in his corner, so to speak, God being the motivation behind his life. And you know, when you hear something like that, Especially as a man, you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, if I had everything that he had going for him, I could also be a godly man too. But, you know, things happen in my life. It's not as easy as it sounds there on the sheet of paper. I mean, this guy's got this idealistic life that he's living. And, of course, if you know the story of Job, you wouldn't say that, right? Because you know that one day... <laughs> Everything in this guy's life got turned upside down. So let's look at <clears throat> Job's one day. Job chapter 1, verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
while he was speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters are feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now, that's a bad day. You have corporate raiders who've come in and taken everything you have, and you have what people call acts of God that has basically taken the lives of all your children, perhaps your grandchildren as well. Talk about devastating. Talk about, talk about being put to the very edge, so to speak. How many of us as men, or men and women, because this applies to all of us, could survive a day like that and not have our faith shaken or have us just turn our backs on God? But Job doesn't. But Job doesn't. If you come down to verse 20, it says, after getting all this bad news, that Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, which is a sign of deep mourning. Then he fell to the ground, and here's what shocks us. He fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of God be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. It's just remarkable. It's amazing. Job is one of those men, and there's only a few of them in the Scriptures that I can find. Another example would be Daniel. Another example would be Joseph. And I suppose we could say Paul as well who just, no matter what happened in their life, no matter how traumatic, how awful it was, their belief in the sovereignty and providence of God was greater than any of the circumstances they would face. How about you? Men, women, young people. Is your belief in the providence and sovereignty of God, God's overarching power and the greatness of God, is it greater than any circumstance that you might face? You know, Job, Job had his faith shaken. You'll see that in the book. There's no doubt about that. But his circumstances could not extinguish his faith. It couldn't put his faith out. He'd lost his business. More importantly, he'd lost his family. But he had not lost his faith. And then things got worse. Can you imagine things getting any worse than they did? Look what it says in Job chapter 2, verse 7. Coming in the middle of the verse, it says, Job was afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. So literally, when it says he sat among the ashes, scholars think that what that means is he had to leave his town where he was living. It's totally unclean. And he would have gone out and sat basically in the dump of the day, the place where you threw your garbage and burned the refuse. 
And that's what his life has been reduced to. At one time, he was the CEO. He was the, the, the greatest man in the East. And now he's sitting in a dump. And he breaks off a, a chart, perhaps, or picks up a broken piece of chart from pottery. And he's scraping the pus from his arms and his legs and his belly and all over his body because he's just overwhelmed by all these sores. I mean, I, I, in my mind, I can't fathom that, and I pray that I never have to go through that, and I pray that you never have to go through that. But I know this much. If you've lived any amount of time, every man in this room will say that they've had a taste of a Job-like experience in their life. That is, you've had your health attacked, and maybe even right now your health is being attacked. Or you know some man in your life whose health is being attacked. It could be cancer, it could be a chronic illness, it could be any number of things. Or perhaps you've experienced loss, loss of a loved one. Your wife, your kids, a grandkid, a dear friend. And you feel how that hollows you out. Or, or perhaps it's loss of a career, loss of a job. You work so hard to, to, to make a go of it, and, and then all of a sudden they downsized, and they let you go, or they sold, and they let you go. Or they replaced you with somebody younger and more accomplished and experienced. And all those dreams that kind of go with what it was going to be like when I finally retired seems to have vanished right now. And economically, it's challenging struggling with that. Everybody, eventually, man, woman, doesn't matter who you are, we all have a taste at least of Job's life, of Job's experience. How do you handle that? How do we deal with it when stuff like that happens in our lives? Well, what I want to do is, is I want to talk to to those who are, are not men for a moment, all right, those who are, who are not fathers and husbands. I, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, sons and daughters, which obviously includes men, but you get my point here, right? And I want to talk about how do you, how do you minister to the man in your life when he's, when he's going through a little bit of Job in his life? Okay, now I understand that women can have Job-like experiences too. So if you know a woman or if you are a woman going through a Job-like experience, just reverse this and, and let's think about how we can help the woman or the women in our lives. But it's Father's Day, so I'm talking to the guys, okay? How do you help the man in your life? Because men are not easy to help, right, women? They don't ask for it, right? They don't oftentimes ask for it. So how do you help a guy when he's going through struggles? Well, first of all, and this is really simple, when your man is down, don't kick him. When your man is down, don't kick him. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I want you to think about Mrs. Job with me for a moment. I don't want to count her out. I don't want to act like it was no big deal for her. I mean, when he suffers, she suffers, right? Her kids, you know, were taken as well. And she's just lost her status because it was joined to his status. And his illness, his sickness, the boils, I mean, all of that's coming back on her. But let's, let's at least admit that at least she's not in the same exact position he's in with these boils from, from bottom to the top of his head. And she gives us a terrible example of how you should handle your man when he is down. Because she says to him in verse 9, 
why don't you just curse God and die? That's not encouraging. <clears throat> that doesn't help you get over the hump when the person closest to you says, you know, I think you'd just be better off if you cussed God out and died. I'm sure she was kind of angry. Job had always been able to fix everything else in life. Why couldn't he fix this? And I wonder if there's something going on in his life that caused this. He can imagine all the thoughts that could have swirled around in her mind. You know what she needed to be to Job in that moment is what each of us needs to be to that person in our life who's suffering and struggles. She needed to be his CEO, chief encouragement officer. Chief encouragement officer, right? Because we all need a CEO in our life. We all need a chief encouragement officer. And men especially. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the power of an encouraging word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. In Ephesians 4, 29, Paul wrote, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. There have been times in my 40-some years of ministry, it's so weird for me to say that because I feel like I just started yesterday, that I have been greatly discouraged. And, and you know, Discouraged by people. It just happens. I've had people, you know, before the days of email, write me uh, letters, right? And it would always say, I could always, I was always nervous when it was a white envelope and rather large and rather thick and confidential to, you know, Dale Hummel. And I'd open it up and it'd be Dear Pastor. And then it would just be one long list of all the things I was doing wrong and why they didn't like me. And, and then at the end, they would sign it, Love in Christ. I always thought... I just never quite understood that. I hate you, loving Christ, Bill, or whatever, right? And, and over the years, I've had my share of hate mail. You know, over the years, I've had people tell me I should go back to seminary, learn how to preach again. Over the years, I've had, you know, I've, I've had people say some really mean and nasty things and, and, and spread rumors about me that aren't true. I mean, it just, it just goes with working with people. Every pastor will tell you that, and you experience it in your life as well. But I remember one time in particular, I have a Kodak moment in my mind. I can see it as I'm standing here today. It was not here. It was at a, a different place where we were serving. And it was a particularly difficult time. And people are angry. People were leaving and uh, being unfair in how I felt they were treating me and talking about me. And I was sharing it with Marsha. And my wife looked at me. And I, st I still remember sitting there, or standing there, actually. And she looked at me. She said, Dale Hummel. She says, God called you into ministry. You know that what you're doing is the right thing to do, and it's going to be okay. And I want to tell you something in a moment, in a moment, the, the switch flipped. It, it was like healing for me. I just needed someone who loved me, who knew me, to encourage me. Can I ask you, is there somebody in your life that could use a word of encouragement today? A husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend. Could you actually maybe write them a true note of encouragement today before the day is done? Could you look at them in the eyes and say, I, I believe in you. It's, it's going to be okay. We're going to work. We're going to get through this. Encouragement is powerful when it's given. 
All right? Second thing. All right? When your man is down, don't tell him that he has bad breath. Say, where are you coming from? That's what the scriptures say, all right? Let me prove it to you. If you turn over to Job 19, several pages later, it says in verse 17, he says in Job 19, 17, my breath is repulsive to my wife. I am rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My close friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. Now, Job had literally bad breath, right? I mean, imagine the, the, the boils and the sickness and how putrid it was. I want to talk about a bad attitude for a moment. Because, you know, sometimes as men, when we go through it, when, when we're having a Job-like experience, when things aren't going well, we can sometimes have an attitude that really stinks. Right, ladies? Right, families? It's your opportunity to say yes. Right? And even we as men know that sometimes our attitude stinks. But we're just sick and tired of whatever it is that we're dealing with or whatever it is that we're going through or, or trying to solve. And, you know, sometimes it affects affects how you behave and even maybe some of the things that comes out comes out of your mouth. And the problem with a stinking attitude, it tends to breed more stinking attitudes with other people. If you ever notice that in your family, if your husband, if the, you know, if the dad comes home with a bad attitude, pretty soon mom has a bad attitude and you have kids, pretty soon the kids have a bad attitude, right? It spreads very quickly. But it's in those moments where we got to step outside of it and say, okay, I know you're going through a lot here right now. It's not going to help me to yell at you and get upset with you. I mean, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it have been amazing if Mrs. Job had just put a clothespin on her nose, walked up to her husband, and gently kissed those blistered lips? Can you imagine what that would have done for him? You're willing to kiss me with the stench and these blisters. But that's what Jesus would do, isn't it? Remember, Jesus touched the leper. He embraced those who had bad attitudes. He, he tried to minister to them in compassion. And, you know, sometimes you and I have to be Jesus with skin on to the people who are hurting. We've got to show them compassion. We've got to show them grace. Paul writes in Psalm 34, 18, I'm sorry, the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He, refu- he, re- he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, come alongside people and comfort them, but don't draw from your own love. Love them from the love of God. Comfort them with the comfort that God has given to you. And sometimes that man in your life who's struggling, who's having his Job-like experience, what he needs from you is to be comforted, not ridiculed. And sometimes it's with an appropriate touch. It's just a hug. It's just a look in the eye. It's a touch on the arm. I believe in you. I love you. 
it's going to be okay. I'm here with you. And in order for that to happen, what has to happen is we have to, we have to die to ourselves, right? Because one of the challenges we have is when somebody else is hurting, we tend to then feel like, you know, we, we tend to um, feel their hurt as well. We start to feel kind of sorry for us as well, and we want attention from them. Well, it's really hard for them to give us attention when they're hurting so much. So what we do is we just simply say, I'm going to forget about myself right now, and I'm actually just going to, I'm going to really make it about them. I'm going to be Jesus to them. And that's so important to do. Last thing, when your man is down, all right, don't tell him it's because God is mad at him. Don't tell him it's because there's sin in his life. There may be sin in his life. He may have done some stupid things that he shouldn't have done that got him into this situation, but it's not going to do any good to point your finger at him and wag your finger at him and tell him how, you know, how, how foolish he's been or how bad he's been or whatever it is. It just doesn't help. But you know, there are a lot of times when things happen in our lives, and honestly, there's no good reason for it. It's not like, it's not like he or I or we went out and did something wrong and we're suffering the consequences. We're just going along in life, and this happened to me. I don't know why I got cancer now. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why people are, are uh, saying the things they're saying about me, doing the things they're doing to me. I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't behave in any way that I deserved this. And they're right. Because that's what Job ends up saying. And we have to be careful in those moments. We don't buy into this really bad theology. It says that, you know, only bad things happen to bad people. We all know that bad things happen to good people. Just like good things happen to bad people sometimes. So here comes Job's friends. Job chapter 2, verse 11. It says... When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, who incidentally is the shortest man in the Bible, Bildad the Shuhite anyway, and Zophar the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore the robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw, what his suffering, they saw that his suffering was too great for words. I love these guys at this point. They're doing what any good counselor should do, what, what we should be willing to do. When you see somebody suffering just... Just be honest. Say, I don't know what to say to you. I just, I'm just going to be here with you and for you. Speaks volumes. You know, as Christians, we're, we're already got our verse ready in the Bible that we're going to, you know, use, right? And, well, you know, focus on this verse and, you know, do these three things. No, you know, so when somebody's really hurting, just being with them. And, you know, Job must have felt very comfortable because in the chapters to come, you can read later on, he just pours his heart out and says, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Why is God doing this to me? Where is God right now? He curses the day he was born. He, he just wishes he had never been born into this life. So I don't want to paint Job as this ideal guy who never complains. No, he lets it all out. But the bottom line is this. Never, never, never once does he curse God and reject him 
and walk away from him. And that's what it means to be a man of God. That no matter what I encounter in my life, I don't ever turn away from God. Now, I've talked about how to help somebody who's going through something like that. Let me very quickly talk to you about what do you do when it's you? You're the one that's going through it. What's your responsibility in the whole thing? How do we respond to that, especially as men? We're having Job-like experiences. One of the reasons I think the Holy Spirit included the book of Job in the Bible is because God wants us to understand that you and I are involved in a battle between the invisible and the visible world. Paul makes it clear in the book of Ephesians. He says, you know, Satan is the commander of various forms of armies in the unseen realm. In Ephesians 6, 12, he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. And sometimes what we go through is a result of a spiritual attack in our lives. It's the enemy trying to take us down. And for one good reason, he wants to use us to defame God. So we get a behind-the-scenes look in the book of Job of what's really going on here. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that is going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, But Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and we saw the calamity. Look at Job chapter 2, verse 1. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is a blameless man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil, and he's maintained his integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Verse 4, Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. And all heaven held its breath. What's going to happen? Is Satan right? Will Job eventually cursed God to his face for what God's allowed in his life. And as you read the book of Job and it unfoils, what you discover is, though he gets upset, and though he asks God why, and though he says, I don't deserve this, never once does Job ever curse God, reject him, or turn his back on him. And the lesson that, that comes home to you and me about what it means to be a man or a woman or a young person or old person of God is that we take everything that happens in our life 
no matter how bad and difficult it is, no matter how unexplainable it is, and we look at it as a means to bring glory to God in front of the seen and the unseen realm. So that when people watch how we handle it, they just step back and they go, there must be a God because there's no other way to explain how you can continue to be faithful to him. So what are you going through these days? What's your Job-like experience right now? What has you down? What has you discouraged? What can't you explain? What can't you understand? Are you able, are you able to just take it before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But I want to bring you glory through it. I want people to see and know there is a God. Because I use this to glorify you. I heard something uh, this morning in my quiet time that I've got, I really have to think a lot more about it. It's really in my mind, and I think God wanted me to hear it because it's something I need to share with you as well. But it was, it was a simple statement, and I haven't forgotten it. And it goes like this. The problem we have is that we, we too oftentimes have confidence in our own confidence, faith in our own faith, belief in our own belief. What God wants for us is confidence in him, belief in him, faith in him. And that's very different. Because in all honesty, the reason our faith gets shaken up so many times is because our faith is in our own faith in God. Our confidence is in our own confidence that we've mustered up in God. Our belief is in our own belief of what we think about God. And God says, none of that's going to work for you. I need your faith, belief, and confidence in me. That's what it means to be a man or a woman or a young person of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> I'd like to ask you just a few moments to bow your heads and just be still before the Lord. And I want to just, just for a moment speak to any of the men who are here, whether you're a dad or not a dad, doesn't matter, but in, any men who are here who right now you're going through a Job-like experience. Would you be willing to lift it up to God and say, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't even like it. But if I can bring you glory through how I handle it, it gives meaning to it. So God, I'm going to trust you're in control. May I bring glory to you by staying faithful to you through this trial. Like Job, may I fall down and worship you and praise you. You owe me nothing, God. And you've given me everything. Because if all I have is Jesus, I have more than enough. Some of you may be living with somebody or friends of somebody who's going through a Job-like experience, whether it's a man or woman, young or old, doesn't matter. You know, they need you right now. Would you become their CEO, their chief encouragement officer? And would you do it today? Would you just sit with them? Would you just be willing to listen to them?
Would you be willing to appropriately just touch them? Love them. Maybe forgive them. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to be healed by one another as we manifest the grace and love and the goodness and encouragement of Christ living in us. Bless each person here this day and bless especially each dad we ask. In Christ's name. And all God's people said,